Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Action Replay on DCUFM. We're back after a week's break to tackle the world of sport once again. Uh, wherever you're listening to us from, I hope you had a very happy Christmas. And let's hope the year of 2021 is better than the year of 2020. I mean, it's not a struggle, but at least let's hope let's hope we have fans. That'll be a good start, I think. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Sean Crosby. Sean, nice to meet you. That's good to be back. Yeah, yeah I've, uh, I'm pretty sure I've already met you over the last however many weeks. Um, and as if we didn't have an or we didn't already have an overabundance of Sean, we've managed to snag another one. Sean Comer is here with us for the first time on the radio. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, Sean. It's good to be here. Uh, and we'll be talking to you about. A lot, lot of things actually. Um, specifically, the NFL, which wrapped up its regular season this week. Uh, you've got a great blog on there. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, the link to our blog is in the bio of our Instagram at DCUFM Sport, and you can also follow us on Twitter at DCUFM Sport. But we're going to start with something that we don't normally talk about. In fact, it's probably the only year. Only time of the year that I can say this. We'll start with the darts, which is, which rhymes, which is fun to say. Um, Ger- Gerwin Price from Wales won his first PDC World Darts Championship last night. He beat uh, former two-time champion Gary Anderson from Scotland. Um, put in a really good performance for. A, a long stretch of that game, uh, but near the end, Comer, he was on the cusp of losing it. It was it was compelling to see, but he almost conspired to throw it away. Uh, yeah, for anyone that watches darts, you'll have noticed about Gerwin Price that he tends to get very passionate, kind of emotional up there. And, uh, you know, if you ever noticed that... Uh, Whenever he has a good double finish, which is a lot, because his double finishing is really excellent. Like it was on full display Saturday night in the semi-final against Stephen Bunting. He, you know, he seems to just roar his head off whenever he gets a good, um, get a good double finish, and that's without a crowd. So he's not even feeding off any uh, emotion. So I'm not really sure what he's like when there is a big crowd at Ali Pali there to cheer him on. But yeah, you saw him last night against Gary Anderson, where he's up, where he, he's way up, and I think there he had a chance for. To finish the game on a nine darter, which would have been incredible to, you know, win the world championship on a nine darter is unheard of, and he missed it. And I hate to use this word, but it looked like he was starting to blow it a bit. And then, just if you watched his body language, you could see that he was he was getting nervous, which is never good, obviously, when you're playing sport. And Gary Anderson, who's a lot more experienced, a kind of steely veteran, who obviously was way down, but Gary Anderson just stayed calm. Gary Anderson just kept playing his game, even though he was way down and. But Gerwin Price, that wasn't the case. He was shaking his head constantly. He just didn't look confident with the darts. But I think because of the fact he'd built such an insurmountable lead, it goes to why he ended up winning it in the end. I think if the game was a lot closer than it was, yeah, think- then maybe he would have lost. I think he could afford a bit of a wobble. And it was, uh, it was good It was good luck to him that he was able to build up such a big lead. But I was... I was very worried looking at him after he'd already blown about 11 match starts. He, when he had another chance to win it, he took a walk and he just stood in front of the trophy for a bit. And I was just sitting there thinking, don't psych yourself out again, not now. But fair play to him. He managed to, he managed to finish it in front of no crowd, which 
it might have been a bit of a help to the uh, the players because the crowd could be a bit of a distraction. Anyone anyone who played Fallon Sherrick last year would have known that because whoever Fallon was playing against, the crowd just turned on them en masse. But from a viewing perspective, it was the it's the sport I think that missed the crowd the most, and it was the most noticeable when uh, Sky Sports piped the crowd in with soccer. You can kind of suspend your disbelief because you hear the singing all the time and you can't really see it. But normally the crowd are in full view uh, of the of the TV cameras and they do their best to pick it up all the time. And yeah, there was something very jarring about um, the um, piping in the sound of a crowd going. The Alexandra Palace is is famous for its atmosphere when it hosts the World Darts Championships. And some of those lads who go to that are absolute nutters. Like, they don't... They're not really there for the darts. They're mainly there just to have the crack. I mean, I rewatched one of Fallon Sherrick's games last year, and I saw, among other things, lads dressed as aliens, lads dressed as Santas, and lads dressed, I think, only in dungarees, which I, I found a bit concerning. Um, even when I was watching the final last night, my family, um, my dad, my brother went out of their way to wear their Ali Pali outfits. Uh, my dad wore a Santa costume with a bucket hat and my older brother wore a beater or one of those flat caps you'd wear to the races. So a bit of a whimsical question to close out the darts conversation, Comer. If you were going to the Ali Pali to watch the darts, what would you have on you? That's, that's a question that's out there. All right. I think about that, but I'm, just uh, a big fan of the TV show The Sopranos, so I'm thinking I might try a little Sopranos uh, cosplay if I was going to the darts, just just because why not, I guess. I mean, like you said, the costumes there are absolutely mental, so might as well wear uh, whatever you find uh, funny, I guess. Crosby, what about you? Um, you know, I was trying to think about this because you only asked us like, two minutes before we went on air, but uh, <laughs> I was just looking around my room. I have a Where's Wally's costume. I think it would be a pretty solid one to go with. But um, I think you're absolutely right. That's, it's kind of the one sport that really, really relies on the atmosphere in the crowd because it's nearly more about that than the actual sport itself. Uh, now, we were off the air last Monday, and so we missed out on talking about some of the Boxing Day soccer. Uh, but there was plenty to talk about, not just in that weekend, but this past weekend. And... We have a title challenger now in Man United that traditionally they'd be expected to go for the title, but given their current state, not many would have expected it. No, absolutely not, to be honest. Uh, it's kind of the topsy-turvy nature of this season. Uh, the fact that United are now the first time in nearly eight years of being put into the conversation. Uh, of a title challenge, you look at like they just I don't know they got that two all draw against Leicester, which is somewhat disappointing, and then the wins against Wolves and Villa were very like gritty, and they kind of ground them out, which is a good sign of a team going for a title. But um, I'll go to I'll ask you, Comer, given you are a Liverpool supporter, are you worried or do you think give it a week or two and normal service will be resumed? 
I don't want to sound like I'm biased against United or anything, but I'd rather give them a bit of time before deciding, you know, whether they're a title challenger or not. Well, you know, you said about the results against Wolves and Villa. It is a good sign that a team can, uh, you know, grit out results like that. And Wolves and Villa, you know, they're not exactly slackers themselves. They're two good teams. So to get two wins from two, they're solid. And there's talent in this United team. Don't get me wrong. I think Bruno Fernandes is a, is a fantastic player. I mean, he's, he's brilliant to watch him kind of raging Liverpool didn't snap him up when they were linked with him but um yeah no I just I don't see which United and I feel like there's a bit of a I just feel there's too many holes in the team to realistically mount a consistent title challenge and also another thing is that I think this has been blown out of proportion a bit I mean I remember at the start of the season Everton were being talked about as a title challenger they you know quietly all of a sudden drifted off then it was Leicester for a bit people uh, decided they wanted to, you know, put into that conversation. Then they lost at Anfield and drifted off a bit. Then all of a sudden it was Spurs, who also lost at Anfield, uh, you know, that late header by Roberto Firmino to win the game for Liverpool. And they've drifted off since. They followed it up with kind of poor results against Leicester and Wolves. And now all of a sudden United are the team everyone's talking about. And they go to Anfield on the 17th of January. So that'll be the... I think that's the game that will determine whether or not they can really sustain a challenge I mean if they lose it if they're like Leicester and Spurs I know the Leicester and Spurs results were different for Liverpool in the sense, in the sense that they bet Leicester 3-0 you know and it looked comfortable and meanwhile against Spurs they needed a late winner to uh, win the game but they had I thought controlled the majority of the game depending on how United fare at Anfield if it's like those two I think it's fair enough to say yeah they won't win the title now it's not all doom and gloom they could still probably even though I think they won't I they could still finish in the top four. It'll be interesting to see how they do in the Cups, particularly the Europa League, you know, against Real Sociedad, who are La Liga upstart. It'll be fascinating to see. But yeah, as I said, if I have to tell you now, I would say that I don't see United really consisting a challenge. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right there. I think um, there is some people are kind of trying to call it too early almost. And like you said, we've seen contenders like Spurs and, Leicester and Everton just kind of come and go and the big issue United obviously is inconsistency um, and it comes down to the likes of the performances of players like Fernandez. but one man in particular if he could stay fit would really help this air quotes title challenge is Eric Bailly who I thought was brilliant against Villa and that block at the end could be huge for them um, but the reason that United are kind of being pointed to the question of title contenders and why they're level on points at the moment with Liverpool is Liverpool's past two results haven't been what we've come to expect. Uh, a one-all draw against West Brom and a nil-all against Newcastle. Um, what do you make of it? Is it the injuries coming back to haunt them or do you think like it's burnout from the players or what? It, or is it just is this just a blip for Liverpool and they'll bounce back? What do you make of it? Uh, I think it's kind of a mix of that. I think the injuries definitely when you look at the, the injuries they've had this year, they're bound to, um, you know, eventually catch up to you. And also, they just didn't play well in those two games. I mean, with West Brom, they should have finished West Brom off. Uh, and they kind of seemed to just, you know, get a bit carried away with it, took their eye off the ball, and then they got punished. You know, like when I was sitting down watching that West Brom game, man, they scored after like 20 minutes or something. And I'm watching, I'm thinking, oh, brilliant, you know, this looks like it'll be a route. Liverpool just went through them all too easy there. And then they just couldn't put the ball into the net. I'm thinking, okay, well, they'll 
they're going to want to get one sooner rather than later. And we've seen Liverpool plenty of times, you know, under Klopp in particular, and in particular these last two years, you know, sooner rather than later, get another goal to kill off a game or get a late winner or whatever it might be. It just didn't happen against West Brom. You know, West Brom, you know, got a bit of a... The goal was a bit fortunate in the sense that it just kind of... Uh, you know, I think it was a Jai jumped up and headed it in and it just kind of hit the inside of the post and just rolled in a bit. But, you know, West Brom, to be fair, went for this solid enough plan to Anfield and I kind of felt that they deserved something out of it. But then in the Newcastle game... One thing not a lot of people talked about was the midfield for Liverpool, and I'm not saying this is the only reason for uh, the the draw, which was disappointing because ultimately the attack didn't have a great game either. But I thought that the midfield of Milner, Henderson, and Curtis Jones, while they all have their good points, uh, the three of them, it's as if as a midfield together, they just don't really work, and it just seems a bit bland. I mean, you saw the difference between that and their other midfielders when Thiago finally came on late in the game after such a long period of injury and he looked he looked unbelievable. The balls he were playing he was playing were ridiculous. If he starts tonight against Southampton, I think that increases their chances of winning. But yeah, to answer your question, I think that it's been a bit of a combination of things with Liverpool. Um so like the injuries, they're just not being clinical. And another thing as well is that the past two seasons you've needed about a hundred points to win the league. This year you're not going to need near a hundred points. I would say anywhere over 85 will do it for you because it's the quality is just not as strong you know man city are not the force that they've been the last few years even though they had a good result yesterday so it's a yeah it's a few different things but like i said even though there's all these problems with liverpool i still fancy to see them out from here fancy them to see it out from here yeah i think they're i think they're still kind of everyone's favor for the league really and for a good reason um, you mentioned City there. We'll move on to them. They it was kind of like the City of old against Chelsea, and all testament to Guardiola's side and the way that they played. But the real story here and the real questions are being asked of of Chelsea and in particular Frank Lampard. They've still Chelsea still not been have not been anyone above twelfth this season. Do you think he's he's kind of his time is almost up or is it too early? to call or was he the right man for the job in the first place um i don't know if his time is up soon because i don't think chelsea will want to admit that this club legend that is frank lampard may not be the right man for the job uh, and now if it was up to me i'm there thinking you know what are we getting out of this fella we spent so much money for him during the summer you look at guys like Werner, havertz ziek um even ben chilwell at left back who's been okay but was 50 million i wouldn't say he's been you know worth 50 million you know, these players have regressed since they joined Chelsea. They looked like world beaters for these European teams last year. You know, I remember watching Werner a couple of times in the Champions League and he looked unbelievable. And he was linked to Liverpool at the time. And I'm saying, I really hope this transfer happens because this fella looks good. And you'd say the same for Havertz if you ever watched him. I remember Ziyech had a good game in Stamford Bridge for Ajax in the group stage last year. And then, you know, the three of them in particular, I'm singling out, you know, they go to Chelsea and like I've said, they've become worse players. They don't look anywhere near the whole thing around Werner is mystifying to me how someone can be so clinical for you know for a club in Germany and he comes to Chelsea he looks out of his depth so yeah there's that um meanwhile was Lampard the right man for the job in the first place I think we're seeing now that he wasn't I mean and you look at Chelsea's last two managers you know um, Maurizio Sarri and Antonio Conte these were two very experienced managers who were 
who have had very good careers. And I have, I can remember right at the time, it seemed the majority of Chelsea fans couldn't wait to run them out of town. Now, Sarri wasn't a perfect manager. You know, he's been sacked by Juventus since. But Antonio Conte won a league with them and then won an FA Cup the following season. They couldn't wait to get rid of these guys. And now Lampard is in there and they, you know, they're, they're a worse team than they were under these last two managers. So I would say that while I'm not sure Lampard, uh, his time is going to expire yet because I'd say the club are a bit loyal to him, even though Abramovich has been ruthless in the past when it comes to getting out managers, I would say that, yeah, he's definitely showing he's not the right man for the job at the minute. Yeah, it's, um, it is a bit of a messy situation. Bringing to you, Breslin, then, when it comes to Chelsea, do you know, would you, are you of the same opinion? Like, Comer, there's an interesting point you brought up that uh, Chelsea don't want to admit that they've got it wrong with Frank Lampard. But do you think he, do you think they've gotten this wrong, basically? It's a simple question. Is it, was it this, this idea of the clubs are doing now of, of uh, hiring former players? Was it really just a bit of a fad and they're all just kind of following it? Or was there some kind of logic behind getting Frank Lampard into the job? I think the problem that's arisen with, arisen with Chelsea this season is that they've thrown out the game plan that worked so well for them last season. Last season, they had a transfer handicap on them. And so they had to rely on some younger players, players that they'd... Um, some of them they brought up from their own... Uh, academy and others they'd um they'd signed who were kind of unknowns like tammy abraham and christian pulisic and mason mount and you had the nucleus of a really good team there and it sort of reminded me of when jose Mourinho first took over chelsea in 2004 there's a story that abramovich handed him a list of players he wanted to sign the zidans and the shevchenkos of the world and Mourinho looked down the list and he shook his head and Abramovich said, no, what do you, I don't understand. I can buy you the greatest superstars in the world. And Mourinho said, no, you don't understand. What you need is one superstar, me. And Lampard isn't that guy, but he was doing the same thing that Mourinho did. Rather than bring in all these established names like they have this season with Havertz and Werner, they brought up players that were kind of unknown but would buy into Mourinho's way of doing things. So for every Mount and Pulisic that you had in Chelsea squad last season, you had the Drogba's and the Makaleles, the, the guys that you might not be fully familiar with, but guys who will buy into the cause and are superb players in their own right. And... I feel like last season Chelsea were really going somewhere because they had a squad, a settled squad, that was young and talented and would only get better. This year, they had they had their wallet given back to them, basically, and they kind of threw that away. They tore up that system. And so as such, they kind of had to start from scratch, and it's not working as well for them as it had last season. So... I think I don't think it's Lampard. I think it is the system that um, is kind of in place at Chelsea. And I'm not blaming Abramovich specifically. It's more the idea of we need to spend, 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 as opposed to yeah, they were spending loads um, in Mourinho's first season, but they were building a team that would buy into the Chelsea ethos. And I think that's what they were doing in the first season. And 
that's what's different this season, and that's why I think it's going so wrong. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think with the the spending, I think they've kind of they've disrupted the balance that they had in that squad, and you know they're trying to force in all these superstars, and where maybe they should have just bought in here or there and tried to like bleed players in. They've kind of just it's a bit like football manager FIFA career mode. Like you're just buying players for the sake of buying them nearly. Um, actually, just an interesting thing from the weekend as well. You talked a lot about Mourinho during that there. And, his Spurs team are back up to fourth now, kind of again topsy turvy league. Like they were written off completely, and now that they're, they're back in top four, uh, they bet Leeds three nil. But one one thing that came out of that game is Leeds's Leeds tactics is a massive talking point at the moment. Uh, personally, I think they're the most entertaining team to watch in the league going forward. It absolutely is kind of from a football purist kind of point of view that's how the game should be played at the back not so much um and Bielsa is starting to be criticized for the way his team's team is played they've conceded the second the second most amount of goals they can see 33 goals this year only West Brom have conceded more with 39 but they still sit in 12th I I guess I'll, I'll bring it to you Comer do you think that maybe he needs to kind of put his ego aside and tweak his tactics just just to kind of secure safety or do you think forget it like let's just he should just go for it the way this is what's gotten them there and he should just stick to his guns yeah i I, i'm not sure i would want to go away from it too much if i was bielsa because at the end of the day playing this style of football is what got leads to where they are it's what got them through the championship and it's what's got them to 12th in the table now and i think that you know, the poor defensive record might be more a product that guys like Yorenta, who they signed during the summer, haven't been fit enough, you know, to actually get settled into the squad and start playing well. You know, Yorente was, you know, they tried to address the centre-back position in the summer with the signing of Yorente, and as I said, he hasn't been fit. So they're playing Liam Cooper there mostly, and Liam Cooper, while he's club captain, he's been a solid servant for Leeds. He's probably more the standard of a championship centre-half, and he's not someone who really probably goes in with Bielsa's style of play too much so i'd say it's more a product of the players being there um but like you said they're they're 12th at the table and i've no i have zero worries about leeds you know staying up this year i think they'll get to 40 points uh soon enough when you look at the teams down the bottom of the table like fulham west brom sheffield united they're way worse off than leeds are in my opinion and if leeds get to 40 points like i said they're probably safe and Bills can kind of just start doing what he wants then because that was the goal at the start of the season to stay up and they've managed to do it. Like they've they've stuck it to a lot of the big teams this season now. There is some bad results in there given, but you know, they were very brave at Anfield the first game of the season, you know, they managed to lose four three. They've drawn with City at home. Um and they've, you know, like their result the other night against West Brom, you know, given they're not a big team, but you know, they bet them five nil, like they've just if this is a if they are in a relegation fight, these guys would be one of their rivals, and they played them off the park. It wasn't even close. So, and another thing is that if a couple of years ago when Eddie Howe came up with Bournemouth, and then a few years ago before that when Brendan Rodgers came up with Swansea, they had these kind of modern uh, styles of play uh, with their teams. You know, there weren't like typical old uh, managers who brought teams up and they'd play. You know, like the football big Sam or Tony Pulis plays with their side. No, like. Brendan Rodgers and Eddie Howe were bringing up sides that were good to watch and they weren't criticised nearly as much as I feel like Bielsa has been for what he's done with Leeds so if I'm 
no, with Leeds, uh, I wouldn't be too worried about the style of play at the minute. I think maybe you could try to be a bit tighter in some games, but for the most part, you know, don't go away from what's gotten you to where you are. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think I think as a as a neutral, I don't think anyone would really want to see them stray away from that kind of fluid attacking football. Um, you talked about you know hitting that magic number of forty points to kind of stay in the league. Uh, one team that look like they are a million miles away and they probably won't they won't hit forty points, and probably they bring a whole new meaning to the phrase second season syndrome. I think maybe it's not their second season actually. Sheffield I think it United. is their second season. That's what's it so is their bad. second season. Yeah. So well, the first season, and now they've just crashed back down to earth. Yeah, that's what I was. I was gonna. Re- I, I couldn't remember there if they've been in the league or not. But I'll bring it to you, Bryson. You know the tuna lost to Palace at the weekend, and two points from seventeen games. They look like they're gonna outdo that Derby side. I think of oh nine ten. I could be wrong with the year there. But oh seven oh eight. I think it was seven oh eight. Sorry. Thanks. Um, they finished with 11 points just can you explain this at all like what has happened with Sheffield I'll bring it to you Breslin for yeah sorry the silence there was me trying to think because I, I genuinely am trying to think of what has happened and I, I, I don't know I really don't I mean Second season syndrome is a thing. You saw it about a decade ago with Reading. They they won the championship, got promoted to the Premier League for the first time. Um, Sheffield actually came up with them that year. Uh, well, Sheffield went straight back down, but Reading surprised everyone. It played really good football and finished eighth. The next year, they uh, were far less effective, um, uh, famously losing 7-4 to Portsmouth in the most goal-happy Premier League game in history and uh, went back down to the Championship and we haven't seen them since. Sheffield are going that way, albeit in much more spectacular fashion. And it's, it's, it's really hard to, to figure out. I mean, are they... Maybe they are uh, just a bit more uh, gun-shy thinking okay, we'll just use the momentum of having come up to kind of fly at teams. They don't know what to expect. And um, maybe they just came out at, at this season with the idea, oh, we've had our fun. Let's let's go to more a tradi- more traditional way of doing things. And yeah, I, I to be honest, I don't think uh, they'll, they'll uh, finish with less than 11 points. I don't think they'll actually will be the worst Premier League team of all time mainly because I can't really imagine a team being that bad. But, yeah, nailed on for relegation. I, I, I can't think of any possible way they can get out of this. This isn't even like the great escape with Leicester in 2015. Because at least Leicester had a, a, a tally of points that was in double figures. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's genuinely impressive how, how little they've done. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Two points at Christmas. Um, I'll bring it to you as well, Comer, because it's just, it's such a, almost an anomaly. Like, what is, like, you know, one thing that gets brought up a lot is, did did they lose the kind of surprise factor? And do you remember last year they came up and this this thing of the overlapping centre-backs, it was, like, never really seen something like that. It was incredible. And they just swept teams aside. 
is that one of the things have they lost that surprise factor of teams have teams kind of sussed them out and another thing I think that people bring up is definitely the loss of Dean Henderson and the fact that his replacement Ramsdale has been nothing short of catastrophic at times do you know what is it a mix of the two or what do you think what do you think is the reason for their poor form this year uh, I'd agree with a lot of with a lot of the stuff Breslin just said. I mean, it, it's baffling when you look at it. When like when these guys came up last year, they were good to watch. Like you mentioned, the overlapping centre halves were a big part of that. And um, can we remember when you know City were hit with the European ban that obviously didn't land? But people, when that happened, everyone was saying Sheffield United are in position for a Champions League spot. If you look at it, like it was mad. Um, this team was you know doing really well, and I think they ended up finishing ninth. You know and they were really likable because they're an old Northern English club and they'd been in the Premier League a few times, but not for a couple of years. And Chris Wilder was his likable manager and this, that and the other. And to add to that, they had a few Irish players as well, which didn't hurt either. So, yeah, no, it, for the most part, it's baffling. Now, you mentioned have teams gotten used to them. I, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Uh, you know, maybe teams have kind of figured out the overlapping centre-half thing. But at the same time, we have seen other managers come into the league before with these you know, kind of novelty ideas and teams have figured it out, but, you know, they still stick with it or else managers adapt. I think that if they weren't as good as last year, you could say, yeah, that's down to teams figuring them out, but I don't think it excuses two points from 17 games. Like, that's horrendous. And, um, yeah, I see them nearly matching, going worse than this der- than that Derby team because I think they're that bad. I was, I was on my own show last week and I said to uh, Jack Joy, who I was on it with, that... Um, they needed a win against Palace. Like they need to, they needed like last week. They were in a position where they had to start winning games now. Like right now, they had to turn it around, go on a run, build up some points, you know, and look for a way out of there. And they lost. I think they're condemned to relegation. And like I said, I can't really explain too much of it. If team, if it's a case where teams are figuring them out, Chris Wilder should have adapted a bit at least. Um, you mentioned Dean Henderson. Yeah, that. Yeah, that probably is a part of it you know Ramsdale is not great in goals and um, another one I saw mentioned is the fact that Jack O'Connell has been absent for long periods this season now I'm I wasn't even aware that Jack O'Connell could have such an impact on a team that with him looked like European contenders last year and the following season are you know condemned to relegation so you know the you look at all the things that have gone wrong for them like you pointed out the figuring them out the injuries the loss of Dean Henderson while that would probably excuse them being slightly worse, it I don't think it excuses this disastrous run of form. I think it's yeah, it's baffling how they've actually been this bad. Yeah, it is, and I think they are probably out of everyone that's kind of down at the bottom of the table. They're probably everyone's shoe in to go down. One team that may or may not go down. It's hard to know yet, and they've they brought in kind of Mister Relegation Battle himself, Sam Allardyce. It's West Brom. They, you know, they, they got this nil-all draw against Liverpool, which is a decent result. But then to go and get smacked 4-0 at home by Arsenal and a seriously struggling Arsenal, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just a lot of inconsistency, I suppose. But I guess the question I'll ask is because it's, just, it's a Sam Ardice team and he's usually quite solid, this thing. Comer, do you, can you see West Brom staying up? Or is is kind of are the teams ahead of them like Fulham? And Brighton and Burnley are they all just a bit too much for this West Brom side? Uh, I don't think West Brom have enough. First of all, I thought that the decision to sack Billich was a bit head scratching, considering they had drawn with Man City the night before. 
like I've said, City aren't the force. They have been the last few years, but still for a relegation team to go and get a draw at them was kind of impressive. And then they literally sack him the following day, which I thought was bad. Then, you know, Sam Allardyce comes in, Trina lost to Villa. They, and I'm kind of thinking, OK, it's only his first game. Give him a week or so to at least figure something out. Get the 1-1 draw at Anfield. You're thinking, all right, maybe there's something here. But then, like I said, there was the Leeds game. Then there was the Arsenal game. I, And it's not look like a Big Sam team at all. I think that maybe Big Sam's lost his, uh, his mojo that he usually has in these relegation fights. So I don't see them getting out of it. And plus, Big Sam's had a bit of bad PR these last few weeks. Like... When there was talk about suspending the league because of the rising COVID cases, Big Sam came out and said, "I'm 66. I don't, you know, I don't want to get it. I think they should suspend the games." And of course, everyone's kind of first question was, "Well, then why did you take the job? You didn't have to take it." And then he comes out the other day and says that Brexit is having an impact on his transfer plans. And then, of course, someone dug up the fact that Big Sam actually supported Brexit. So I, he's a guy you can't sympathise with at all at the minute. So yeah, I think it's going to be like a different. Uh, it's it's different this time with Big Sam. I don't see them getting out of it, despite the good result at Anfield. If anything, since the result at Anfield looks more like an indictment on how bad Liverpool were that night, rather than how good West Brom were. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. They, they, it, like you said, it doesn't look like a kind of... Usually those Big Sam teams are quite solid and stuff. It's funny, actually, you mentioned him talking about you know the, the talk of suspending the league because of the COVID cases. Because there's a lot going on off the pitch as well. We've had there's been three games been postponed due to COVID uh, over the Christmas period, and and then recently, John, you had like controversies with Kyle Walker uh, having these parties. You had Ben Mendy getting up to all sorts, and you had the likes of like Lacelso. Uh, I think it was Lanzini and possibly Lamella were all at a party together, breaking guidelines basically, and the numbers are going up. And Bresden, we talked about this, I think. Kind of around the start of the show, Do you know, kind of is this is football necessary in in the in the wake of you know such a huge pandemic? Like, if these numbers keep going, could you see it being postponed, or is there just too much money on the line for the league to be postponed again? I could absolutely see it being postponed because it's kind of in the same situation, but not as in. Britain especially are in the same situation as they were uh, in uh, in March of last year, I think, when the season was suspended, uh, in that COVID is kind of out of control. But at the same time, it's different because you can't just say, oh, we we got it we're done before, we can do it again, we can kind of contain it before. No, um, apparently in Britain there is a, a new strain of coronavirus that's much, much more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Infectious, um, and also cases were bound to spike after Christmas because some people just couldn't help themselves. And I'm not knocking those people; it must have been very difficult, but it it certainly didn't help. Um, Ollie came out and said he didn't see any um reason to suspend the season, which I was very disappointed by. I thought that was quite short sighted on his part. Uh. Ultimately, it's very likely that the season could be suspended again. But, you know, the players kind of have to be role models now. They have to lead by example and not do any of the nonsense that some of the some of the Man City players were up to. Um, but I think for the moment, we kind of just have to enjoy every game while we can because it could be suspended at the drop of a hat and we just don't know. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of problems and <clears throat> like numbers are going up, like you said, like it's global. Um, so there is kind of probable cause maybe for it to be suspended. But there is kind of lighter topics uh, off the pitch. Uh, it is, of course, the January transfer window. Nothing much has happened yet but, uh, to players. But Maurizio Pochettino was announced as the new manager of uh, PSG. Uh, Thomas Tuchel was sacked. Um, when you look at kind of their league form, it's not that surprising, considering the dominance they usually have over Ligue 1. Like, they sit third in Ligue 1. Um, they're only a point behind Lille and Lyon. But they've lost four games this year, which I was interested to see what that's like compared. Because I don't know, to me, that seemed like a lot for them in this league. They only lost three games the whole of the Ligue 1 season last year. So already, Tuchel had done worse on himself. So I think, and they kind of they did kind of scrape through that Champions League group. So maybe it was kind of the right call. And I mean, you couldn't get much of a better manager. There wasn't a better manager on the market than Maurizio Pochettino. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I think, Comra, come to you with it. Like, can you see him kind of being able to deal with those egos? Like we saw he did Spurs, how they com- he completely transformed that side. Uh, and to be honest, they're still reaping from those benefits. Like, you know, Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son look like one of the best duos in Europe at the moment. Do you know, do you think he'll have the same kind of license to lay those kind of foundations at a club like PSG? Or because it's such a the culture there is we have to win now. So, do you know, can he can he cope with those kind of high demands? Or do you think he'll crumble under this kind of new pressure? Uh I think we can only really wait and see with this one. I I've always been a fan of Pochettino, uh, so I hope he does well now. I'm not a big, you know, I don't really like PSG. So on the other hand, uh, you know, I don't mind seeing them fail, but it, it'll be, he's never actually stepped into a job like this in his career. You know, he's went from Southampton uh, to Spurs where he didn't really have to deal with big egos. Instead, he kind of had to build those players up himself. You know, I think I would argue that Hoyman Song and Harry Kane, you mentioned probably the best duo in Europe. I'd say they're the players they are now because of Pochettino, because he came in and they realized their talents under him. But, you know, it's completely different in PSG. You've got superstars like Neymar, who's a bit of a love-hate figure, I think, in the media times. And then there's Mbappe, who has all the reason to believe he's, you know, one of the hottest properties in Europe. You know, everything he's achieved so early in his career is ridiculous. So I I think only time will tell because there's no real, uh, you know, there's no real kind of sample we can base off how this will go with, Pochettino can come in and kind of manage those egos. I think it's fair enough to say he's one of the better managers in the world. But if he can't, well, then I'm not sure where his managerial career goes from there. Yeah, it will be. It is something completely new for him. Um, I would like to see him do well. I think he is probably one of the more likable managers in world football. Uh, just quickly looking ahead, then to we mentioned Liverpool are actually playing tonight against Southampton. I think most would expect. A result there, but said I'm not a bad side. Um, but also looking ahead to on Tuesday and Wednesday, the League Cup uh semi finals take place. You've Tottenham versus Brentford, and then you've the Manchester Derby on Wednesday. I'll just quickly ask the two, I'll go to you, Comer, first. Who do you see as who are the two teams you see in the final, which is on the 25th of April? Well, I mean, Spurs should, but Brentford aside easily enough. I know Brentford are a decent championship outfit, but. You know, Spurs are, you know, the whole league above them. So uh, unless a big upset happens, I'd see Spurs progressing easily enough. Meanwhile, in the Manchester Derby, 
Uh, I'm going to have to go for City. I know that United have probably been better in the league this year, but for some reason City have a weird thing with the Carabao Cup where they managed to get all their players out, give them all some minutes. And um, yeah, I just I see City going back, so I'd say it'll be City and Spurs in the final. And yourself, Bryson, who, who are your predictions to go to the final? Um, well, I, I agree that Spurs will go through. Um, I think that um, this would be a good test for Brentford because they very nearly got promoted last year and they're knocking on the door of promotion again this year. So I think this would be a good way for them to see how they measure up against the Premier League side and prepare themselves for that level of competition if they do get promoted. I know the Carabao Cup isn't exactly a haven for feeling, fielding your top 11, but Brentford, if, if they don't disgrace themselves, I think they'll feel really optimistic about their chances in the Premier League should they get promoted. Uh, as for United City, something's telling me that United might do it. I know City have this thing with the Carabao Cup, as Comer said, but I don't know. United kind of pull out wins against City when they don't really expect, you don't really expect them to. And they did it a couple of times last year. And I just, I have a sneaking suspicion they'll do it again. Yeah, I think there is something about this United team, particularly with Ollie, when there's kind of pressures on, there's big games, they tend to pull out of the bag somewhere. Uh, but that's really all of our soccer talk this week. Uh, if you're not already following us on our socials, they're on the screen. We're on Instagram and Twitter at DCUFM Sport. And I think now we're going to go over to the NFL. I'll hand it back over to you, Breslin. Yeah, from one football to another, the last weekend of the NFL regular season was yesterday and it uh, it wrapped up with um a few a few good games uh Cleveland uh the Cleveland Browns which is a hilarious name i think not quite as funny as the Washington football team but it's, it's close they ended the longest playoff drought in the NFL which obviously is a fantastic achievement for them um Comer, you're the authority on the NFL. You've got a terrific blog up on uh, the Action Replay blog, which I highly recommend you check out. The link to that is in the bio of our Instagram page, at DCUFM Sport. But um, are the playoffs uh, as expected? Are there any surprise packages that you wouldn't have expected to get through? Uh, well, I mean, maybe you could argue that Cleveland uh, were a bit of a surprise now that Cleveland roster is very talented, but the Browns are known as a nickname that has been thrown at them as the factory of sadness because they've been that bad to follow for like 20 years. I think it's the 90s was the last time they hosted a playoff game and they probably won't get the host one this time round. And then I think it was sometime in the mid-2000s they last actually played in a playoff game um, for the entire 2000 and the decade of the 2010s. They didn't have a single season where they won over like seven games a year, which is brutal. So, you know, while this was a talented team, you kind of looked at them at the start of the year and you thought, well, it, it's Cleveland. You know, what can go wrong is going to go wrong for them. But their head coach, Stefan, Kevin Stefanski, deserves a lot of credit because he managed to put belief into these players. They have built a very good run game in their running backs. Uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who look like two of the best backs uh, in the... Uh, in the uh, NFL at times. And that's really what's brought them to the playoffs. 
Meanwhile, their game yesterday against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh had nothing to play for. Pittsburgh were resting a lot of their starters because Pittsburgh has wrapped up their division already and they're going to actually host Cleveland this weekend. So because of the way the seeding has worked out, but Cleveland really made their fans uh, sweat the last few minutes. These, these Pittsburgh backups, you know, overturned a huge definite deficit and had a chance to tie the game up with, uh, with a two-point conversion near the end and they missed it. So Cleveland eked out a two-point victory, which I, if I was a Cleveland fan, my heart wouldn't be able to take that. I suppose the big surprise, though, out of teams that have made the playoffs is the team that you mentioned, the Washington football team. Now, uh, the whole name thing with the Washington football team, it's a bit, there was a big controversy with their previous name, which we won't get into. So hence why they don't actually have a proper team name. But the Washington football team are seen as a bit of a, mess at the start of the year and I would argue that they're still not actually that good they had a good head coach who they hired uh, last year in Ron Rivera who's been around the NFL for a few years but like you looked at their roster at the start of the year and said outside of their defense it just wasn't very good they just wouldn't have anywhere near enough but the division they're in the NFC East has been absolutely brutal this year it's one of the worst divisions in the history of the NFL Washington didn't actually have a winning season this year they only went seven and nine but they managed to actually, because they were less bad than the rest of the teams in that division, they managed to win it, which means they get to host a playoff game next week and they're going to host Tom Brady's uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it'll be, it's a weird, interesting game for a number of reasons. So that is probably, those are probably the two biggest names that leap out where if you told me to start the season, they're going to make the playoffs. I'd, I'd have looked at you like you were crazy. So uh, I think it's safe to assume that Cleveland and Washington, based on what you've told us, are probably going to get blown away in the playoffs. Uh, all those games, six of them, are happening next weekend. But uh, looking at down the rest of the, the, the playoff games, um, in the, which one is it? The AFC is the aforementioned Pittsburgh-Cleveland game. Then you got Buffalo uh, hosting Indianapolis and Baltimore traveling to Tennessee. Then the NFC, uh, Tampa Bay traveling to Washington, as mentioned. Chicago versus New Orleans and Seattle hosting the LA Rams. Now, um, the top seeds in each uh, conference, the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs, they're not playing until next week. They get a, a bye to the next round. But what of those six games uh, stands out to you the most? Well, uh, you mentioned there I said that... Uh... I was talking about Pittsburgh-Cleveland. Uh, I don't know if I maybe sounded a bit too harsh on the Browns. They were unlike Washington this year in the sense that they actually played well and deserved to make it. But it was just that the fact that they had been such a... No one kind of expected them to play this well is the reason why I was surprised they were there. Um, so I think their game against Pittsburgh will be the most interesting one because those two are divisional rivals. They play each other twice every year, so know plenty about each other. But before this, they were a tale of two completely different franchises. Pittsburgh are one of the most storied franchises in the NFL who they've won six Super Bowls which is tied for the most all time uh, their current quarterback Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's kind of out in his last uh, his last hurrah in the sense that he's won two Super Bowls already in his career he made another one which he lost to the Packers but Pittsburgh look Pittsburgh were unbeatable at one stage this year they were 11-0 and then they faced the Washington football team of all teams and lost to them so dropped to 11-1 and but you're thinking okay they'll they'll write the ship they'll find their old form then they lost to the buffalo bills and the bills are a very good team so i'd say that's a team to keep an eye on and you're kind of thinking okay this is getting a bit worrying then they lost to the Bengals, who were 
just not good at all. And for a while there, Pittsburgh looked catastrophic. And then two weeks ago, they needed a huge comeback against the Indianapolis Colts to actually dig themselves out of a huge hole and win their division and secure that uh, home playoff game. So I'd say them against Cleveland is actually the most interesting game because if Cleveland Cleveland need to play better, first of all, than they did Sunday, they can't let Pittsburgh's actual starting quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, as kind of frail as he's looked at times this year, he's a lot better than the guy Pittsburgh had in yesterday. So he he would probably punish the Browns a bit more if they let him. So, But like I mentioned, with Cleveland's uh, rushing attack, which I think they have to use in this game, even though Pittsburgh has a very good defense, I think that's the kind of key to victory for Cleveland um, to use their rushing attack. And um, yeah, that's probably the most interesting game out of the lot. But like I mentioned, the Buffalo Bills are somewhat of an upstart. Their third-year quarterback, Josh Allen, has just gone from strength to strength these past three years. All of a sudden, he looks like one of the better quarterbacks in the league. It's No one really saw it coming. And this Buffalo team actually has it all. They're the only team I can see in the AFC beating the Kansas City Chiefs, if possible, because their defense is very good. They've got a very good head coach in Sean McDermott. The offense, of course, led by Josh Allen, who's surrounded by great players, is uh, coached by Brian DeBall, their offensive coordinator, who'll probably get a head coaching job some stage in the next two weeks. So, yeah, as I said, out of all the matchups, Pittsburgh and Cleveland is the most intriguing, but the single team I think to watch the most out for is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so we're getting in now into the business end of the NFL season, and I'm sure we'll be turning to you a lot, Comer, to keep us up to date on everything that's going on on the gridiron. But that's going to do it for this edition of Action Replay. Crosby, Comer, thank you so much for your help. Thanks very much. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram uh, at DCUFM Sport. Uh, there might be a change in the schedule coming down the tracks. Um, so stay tuned to those social medias for more on that. But next week, we will be back at the same time, Monday at 2. Until then, I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>